This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Isn't that awesome to be able to worship the Lord today? Let's give the Lord another clap offering. That was just awesome. Man. Thank you all for being here this morning. I'm Pastor Andy. I'm one of the staff pastors here. Let me just get myself organized. Got a little wobble here. There we go. But it's just great to be able to have an opportunity to share with you this morning. I was reflecting yesterday as I was meditating on this message that God had dropped to my heart to share with you. And what, what came to me was that I've been involved in ministry for over 30 years. I go, wow, 30 years, where did that time go? And, you know, we go through various seasons and various phases of our lives and, and, and different emphasis in our ministry, and God takes us on a different journey. But for the last 15 years, I've really have focused upon taking steps to heal the wounded heart. And, and I think it all came about uh, when I was pastoring um, at another church a few years ago, and, and I'm so passionate about the Word of God, and people that know me know that. I love to read I can't get enough of the Word. I just love studying the Word. I love dissecting it and just really kind of getting to what, what, is the, 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 you know, what does it really mean. In fact, my wife will tell you that I'm so boring that one summer I taught myself Greek and Hebrew. That's before I was married, of course. But, uh, you know, who, who does that? Who spends time reading Greek and Hebrew and trying to teach yourself the languages? And I mean, that's what I could. I really wanted to understand what the Word said. But one day I was praying, and, 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 I began, and, and I'm so passionate about the Word, and it used to frustrate me that I would come out, I'd labor for, for days and weeks and putting a message together, and I would preach, and, and people's eyes would just kind of glaze over, just like, man, they're not getting it. What? Why can't you be as excited about the Word as I am? Do I need to have ushers kind of you know, set your chairs on fire, or what can I do to get a movement out of you? And, and, and so, I just, so I remember praying one day, and I said, God, what is this? Why, why is this happening? And God spoke to my heart, and he said this. He says, Andy, when you have the flu, what do you feel like? Of course, when you have the flu, I said, I either want to get better or die. I mean, there's no (laughs) in-between. And God said, the people that that I've called you to preach to had the emotional flu, that they can't embrace the truth of my word because they can't get beyond the pain in their lives that they are experiencing. And maybe they've had an encounter with God but that encounter with God has, has regenerated them, has given them some measure of hope. But every time they come to face-to-face with the past wounds and pains in their lives, they stop. They just freeze. And they can't seem to get beyond that. And, and so, what, so what I've titled my message today is called Healing the Wounded Heart. And I want to share with you some things that God has shown me over the years that has helped me to deal with the wounds of my own heart. Now, how many know that just because I'm, I'm pastoring and I'm teaching the Word, that I'm not exempt from all the trials and the pain and the wounds that maybe all of you have had and, and I've had? Because we're all broken people. We've all have, we all have different journeys, and we have all have gone from different places, but yet God has, uses those things to shape us and to mold us and bring us into the image that is pleasing His sight. And I've learned over the years that God doesn't waste a hurt, and He doesn't waste an experience in our lives. And so... As we go through the word here this morning, I want us to keep that in mind, 
that the, maybe the things that you have experienced in life, I'm not, I'm not minimizing those at all. They've all have been very traumatic. They've been very challenging uh, to a certain degree. But yet, God loves you. God is not your enemy. God always has your best interests at heart. And he wants to take you from glory to glory to glory to do a greater work in you and drive us to a greater dependency on the cross and, and, and a trust in him that makes our faith unshakable. And that's what God wants. And, and, and so I'm, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Exodus 15. I'm going to read to you from this passage in Exodus 15. And one thing I wanted to also point out, if you're taking notes, if you write down 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it's not in any of your notes, but 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. It says that all of the events in the Old Testament, all the historical aspects of the Old Testament are written for our admonition and for our example. So everything that occurred, even though they were literal events that occurred, there are spiritual applications and significance for us today as well. And that's what I want us to see when I read this passage here in, in Exodus. Even though it was a literal uh, historical event that occurred, there are some spiritual applications here, I think, that will help us in, in our journey to understand uh, the, the basis of this message. In, first, in, in Exodus 15, looking at verse 22 through 26, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then he went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And verse 26, And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. For I am the Lord who heals you. We see in this particular passage that God also is revealing himself as a covenant-keeping God. He says, first of all, that I am. I am your all-sufficient one. Remember when, when Moses had confronted God, he says, who should I tell Pharaoh is giving me permission to say, let my people go? He says, tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I am. In other words, I am what you need when you need it. I am your all-sufficient God. I am your everything. I am. And I find that's that throughout the, the Bible, especially from Adam to the cross, there's always been a continual revelation of who God is. The Hebrew names of God are an expression of his character. And from Adam to the cross to this revelation, these revelations were generally given in a crisis situation. God revealed himself faithful and strong in a crisis situation, and then a proclamation of his nature was then made. As you study throughout the Old Testament, when God reveals himself as a covenant-keeping God, it's always in the midst of a crisis. Now, I don't know about you, but how many know that when everything is going well in your life, you have a lot of acquaintances and a lot of friends? But it's in the midst of crisis and turmoil and tragedy that you find out who your real friends are. And I have found that God has never, ever forsaken me. God has never let me down. God has never failed me. When other people have, have, have uh, abandoned me, God never has. And, you know, and it's, and it's interesting here 
that this whole setting is this, that, that God had just delivered the Israel nation, over a million people, from slavery and captivity. They had been held slavery for over 400 years. Out of, so Moses takes them out of Egypt, takes them to the Red Sea. They're overlooking the precipice, and the Pharaoh and his army are chasing the Israel nation, and, and, and they know that certain doom is coming. But God says to Moses, stretch forth your staff. And, and as he stretches forth his staff, the Red Sea immediately parts. And the, all the nation crosses on dry ground. And as soon as they get across to dry ground, as the Pharaoh army is chasing them, the waters collapse and destroys the Pharaoh and his army. But yet, I have learned that throughout my, through my years of ministry that it is not the miraculous that seems to impress the people of God. Yes, our flesh likes the miracles. We run from place to place. Remember here, there's a move of God going, the different revivals. We kind of go over the place just to get, just get a look of that. I've never understood that when we, that when we pray, the Bible says when you pray, believe that you have received and you shall have it. But when God answers our prayers, we're, we're, we're surprised. Shouldn't we expect those things to happen when we pray? When we trust God, shouldn't that be just an every day, every day byproduct of serving God that, that he takes care of us, he supplies our needs, and he delivers us, he protects us, provides for us? But I have found that we don't come to a, to a real knowledge of who God is when everything is going well. It's always in the midst of a crisis that God reveals himself as I am. I am what you need when you need it. I'm your healer, I'm your deliverer, I'm your provider, I'm your banner, I'm your righteousness, I am all, I'm your all in all. That's who I am, I'm your God. And we see here that after three days, after three days' journey, the first place that God takes the Israelites after they cross the Red Sea, and there's a lot of symbolism here, the Red Sea experience and symbolically represents our new birth. Are coming out of the world and entering into a new life in God, into the promised land. But it's interesting that the very first place that God takes these people is to Mara, the pool of Mara. And in the Bible, in Proverbs 27, verse 19, Proverbs 27, 19, if you're taking notes, it says this, As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Many times, the, the water it was always symbolic of a person's disposition. And I believe that God, the reason he brought them to Mara, he wanted to show them something. He wanted them to look into this pool of bitterness and see their hearts. Can you imagine that here they are? They've been in captivity. They've been in slavery for over 400 years. And don't you think there might have been a measure of bitterness in their heart? a measure of resentment in their heart. You see, the waters was a reflection of their soul, and God wanted to deal with the bitterness that was in their lives. Because, you see, bitterness will bring a sense of confusion. It brings a sense of disfavor. Plus, it creates an inability to worship God because we're bitter. We have resentment. Throughout our journey as Christians, I believe that God always brings us to a place of reckoning a place of decision during our journey. See, he doesn't expect us to be perfect right away. It'd be nice. Wouldn't it be nice to be like a, a spiritual car wash? You get saved, you come out on one side, wearing a white robe and having wings, singing holy, holy, holy. I mean, that would be nice. But it doesn't work that way. There's a process that we have to go through, and, and, and all these different things, these different road signs that we come to in our lives, 
is so that God can work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He was trying to work out the character and the conduct of Christ that we are an expression of his grace to other people. That's what God is trying to do in and through us. David Wilkerson made this quote. David Wilkerson said, I've concluded that most bitterness among believers can be traced back to a disappointment with God. David Wilkerson is the founder of Teen Challenge. And he says, and he, goes to, he goes, I've concluded that all the people I've worked with that, that are bitter, that are harboring anger and bitterness can be traced back to a disappointment with God. Maybe that you had expected God to do something and it didn't come through for you. Maybe you asked God to do this, or maybe you had an expectation that was unattainable. Or maybe you had a shattered dream, maybe a broken relationship. Maybe, maybe you had uh, children that kind of went astray, and you, and you, and you said, God, what is, what's going on? I've served you all these years. What's wrong? What's going on here? And you get bitter, you get angry with God. But I see that after three days, they begin to murmur. And they begin to complain, we don't have any water. Now Moses was a whole lot more spiritual than me because I would have said, you want water? We'll go back to the Red Sea and I'll show you water. <laughs> but Moses didn't. He just said, God, what am I going to do? Because in essence, what Israel is Israel doing, and we've all done this, we've received Jesus Christ and we have this, we have this perception that now everything is, everything is okay. Everything should be a cakewalk from here on. And we, and we begin to think, God, if you love me so much, then why are all these bad things happening? Anybody been there? God, if you love me, why is, why is all hell breaking loose in my life? God, if you love me, why, is, why did I get fired from my job? God, if you love me, why did this happen? God, if you love me, and on and on and on. But I've learned that we have an enemy that desires to discredit the faithfulness of our God. His name is Satan. And he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Because the devil would do anything in his power to discredit the promises and the faithfulness of God in your life. Why? Because he wants to wound you and keep your focus on your pain that you're going through instead of the promises of God's deliverance. He wants you to continue to look into the pool of bitterness. He wants you to look at Mara and not see what God has for you. But fortunately, God had a plan. What did God do? Look in verse 25. So he cried out. Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. You see, a tree was cut down, and that tree was tossed in the waters, and the bitter waters were made sweet. I believe this is a foreshadow of the day that God would bring healing through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because these are Old Testament are examples and admonition for what we have today. So God was showing them the bitterness that was in their heart, their disposition full of bitterness and resentment. But he, but he said the only way to deal with bitterness and resentment in your life is by applying the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there, I don't know about you, but there, have there ever been times you say, I can't forgive that person. I can't let that go. That person hurt me. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive her. I can't. The pain is so great, I can't let them go. And you're probably right. In your own strength, you can't. That's why God made a way. He says, take that tree and toss it into the water, and that will make the bitter water sweet. God is saying, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever disappointments you have experienced, what rejections you have experienced, the cross of Jesus Christ will make those bitter waters sweet in your life. 
And that's what this, this, what this represented here. So it was at Marah. It was at this place of bitterness that God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. God reveals himself as our healer at the place of bitterness. Do you know that 85% of our sicknesses and diseases are a result of emotional pain and wounds? Because we stuff it, and when you stuff these things and not deal with it, it begins to manifest itself in an organ, and then it manifests itself physically in our bodies. Medical science will tell you that. 85% of all of our sickness and disease is a result of stuffing our wounds, stuffing our emotions, and not dealing with it, not applying the cross to the bitterness in our lives. And, we, and, and then we begin to blame God when things don't go right in our lives. God has given us a solution. The solution is to put the cross of Jesus Christ into the bitterness that's in your life, and that will bring healing. You see, friends, many times when we look at this context here in verse 26, we think that he's talking about physical healing, and I believe he does. I believe it refers to healing of the whole man. God wants to heal you of diseases. He wants to heal you of cancer. He wants to heal you of heart disease. He wants to heal you of diabetes. He wants to heal you of whatever affliction the enemy has placed upon you. God desires to heal you. But I have found that a lot of people, when they receive their healing, seem to lose it. Why? Because they don't go to the core of why they're sick in the first place. And we have to look at that pool of Mara, the pool of bitterness, and apply the cross of Jesus Christ so we can experience the sweetness of his deliverance and his healing. So that's what God had shown me. And in Psalms 147, verse 3 says this. Psalms 147, verse 3. God heals the brokenhearted. God binds up their wounds. God's covenant of healing, I believe, friends, is for the whole man. Because the word Rapha means to mend, to fix. And I believe God is saying, I am the Lord who mends. I am the God who fixes your broken heart. I am the God who heals your wounds. I am the God who wants to put your heart back together. God is saying, I know you've been angry. I know you've been bitter. And you've been upset by the way things have turned out. But if you will come to me and trust me, I will bring healing to your spirit. I will mend your heart as well as your body. God says, I want to heal the whole man. So let me share with you some steps to healing the wounded heart. Here's some things that I've learned over the years of how God will do that. Steps to healing the wounded heart. Number one, I must reveal my hurt. I've got to reveal my hurt. I can't just stuff it. I've got to deal with it. I've got to bring it to the surface in order to take it to the cross. I've got to bring it forth. In Psalms 39, verse 2 and 3, Psalms 39, verse 2 and 3, says, but when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And as I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. You see, friends, when we hold onto our hurts, when we hold onto our bitterness, when we hold onto our resentment, it's like we carry hot coals close to my heart. I'm the only one getting burned. Nobody else. I'm getting burned when I hold on to those things, when I press them into my heart. I hold on to them and I get burned. God doesn't want us to stuff it. He wants us to deal with it. So, Pastor, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I deal with these things? First of all, you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest that you're dealing with these things, that this is actually happening in your life. You've got to be honest. 
I remember just recently that in, in, a, in, a, in a meeting with our, our staff, our pastors actually, we're doing this Trek program, and a Trek is a program that I'm going to be introducing to our church first of the year. It's a program that helps us to deal with the wounds of our past that calls us to live reactively. In other words, we say or do things, we don't know why we say or do it. And we do this, and it gets us into trouble. And the moment we say it, we know it's going to bite us. Now I can't get that back. Well, this class takes us on a 26-week journey. It's six months. It's a commitment. Three hours once a week, we're going to come in, and we're going to do this journey. And one of the things that I've learned in my own life, that even though I've said I've dealt with certain things, and I have taken various things to the cross, at least I think I have, but yet, you know, your brain records every trauma, every event that has ever happened in your life. In the thalamus, it goes into your brain. It's stored there. And so every time there is, every, every time there is an event or situation that is very similar to the trauma or the experience you have occurred in your brain, you will live out accordingly as if it happened the first time. And I remember we were talking in our, in our Trek class, and I, I was sharing an experience of, of a time where I was greatly hurt by a friend, a coworker, whom I had opened my heart to, and he turned this on me and used it against me. And I felt betrayed. In fact, I had not ever been so angry in my life. I literally wanted to punch him in the face. That's how, that's how angry I was. Can I say that from the pulpit? <laughs> I'm being real. I really wanted to hurt this guy. I was so angry because I had been betrayed. I, I, had, I had taken my heart. I had made myself vulnerable. I had shared it to someone that I thought would be safe. And he betrayed me. And I was so angry. And every time I would share that story, I, I, would, I, would, have, I would go through the exact same my face would get red, my jaw would get tight, and my eyes would just get real narrow, focused, and I, I would just be so angry. I, it was as if I was reliving that moment again, and it happened several years ago. And, and so, so I had some, so my, so my brothers, you know, they were very quiet about it, so I had met with some other guys that I hold very clear, very dear to my heart, and they challenged me. He says, Pastor, we need to work you through this. So this has happened a long time ago. There's a deeper reason why you're reacting this way, and we need for you, we need to work through it. So we had this journey out of shame sheet process of 20 questions that I worked through, and all of a sudden I'm going to go, oh, my goodness, I, I, I see where it's coming from. You see, the things that you understand you can do something about. It's the things you don't understand that drive you crazy because you continue to do those things, and you don't know why you do it, but you continue to do it, and it drives you crazy. But when I realized, wait a minute, this was a sense of betrayal when I was a child. When someone I loved, when someone that was supposed to take care of me, when someone who was supposed to nurture me walked out of my life. When your mother walks out of your, out of your life to leave with another man, the one who's supposed to take care of you, one who's supposed to watch you, one, and I'm the oldest of five kids, and I became responsible to raising my brothers and sisters. I became a parent at the age of 13. And that, that created such an angry moment of sense of rejection and abandonment that whenever I am betrayed by someone that I bear my heart to, that emotion would, would flare up again, and I would act as if I was being hurt and abandoned again. And when I knew that, I said, that situation is not the same situation. I can deal with this. I can take this to the cross now. And I did, and now I can tell the same story without having all the same emotions. It's because you've got to be honest. And then I was honest with God. I said, God, I hurt. God, I'm angry. God, I just, I just don't know what to do. And in, in God, many times I've been through this situation where I've shared my heart with God, where I've, where I've gone through these different things. And God always has reassured me. He says, Andy, I've never forsaken you. I've never given up on you. I believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. I believe in you. Just trust me. 
The next thing we know about God is this, that God sees the end from the beginning. God sees the end. He sees, he sees how it's going, everything's going to play out in your life. You may be in the midst of a battle. You may be in the midst of a storm right now, but God already sees the end from the beginning, and God has your best interest at heart. God is not your enemy. God loves you, and God wants to promote you. He wants to take you from glory to glory to glory. That's what God wants for you. And so when I begin to realize that, I was honest with God that there have been times where I've said some things to God that I probably shouldn't have said. But yet God's big enough to handle that, friends. I did not commit the unpardonable sin. God is bigger than that. God is bigger than the pain that you're going through. God doesn't waste the hurt that you've ever experienced. He's going to use that to challenge and encourage other people along the journey. We have all these divine appointments that God brings people in our lives so we can speak health and wholeness to it. And that's getting ahead of myself here. But be honest with a friend you can trust. Do not, and here's a word of wisdom for you. I've been in this thing a long time. When you're hurting, you want to tell everybody about it. But friends, find a handful of select people that, are, that you can trust that has your back and share with them that you know are going to pray with you, that's going to encourage you, because otherwise they'll use it for fodder, for gossip. Sometimes they'll use it to stab you in the back. You don't need to go to everybody because when you, go to, when you go to a multitude of people, you know what happens? You get a multitude of opinions. Go some honest friends that you can trust, that has your best interest at heart, and, and, and someone that's going to pray for you, someone that's going to love on you, someone that's going to be honest with you and tell you the truth. You, we need people that will tell us the truth even when it hurts. And so I, I encourage you, if you don't have that in your life right now, find yourself two or three that's really all you need is two or three close inner circle people that know you better than anyone else except for God. Number two, I must release those who have hurt me. The second step to healing my wounded heart is I must release those who have hurt me. You see, harboring resentment will imprison you and will keep you in bondage. When you harbor resentment and bitterness, it will imprison you. It will keep you in bondage. It will change the way you behave. It will change your attitude. It will just enslave you. See, getting even will not take away the pain. Sometimes you think, well, if I just get even with this person, that'll make me feel better. No, it doesn't take away the pain by getting even. The only way to deal with pain is is forgiveness. Forgiveness. None of us deserve forgiveness, but God forgave us. There have been times, there have been people that I said, I can't forgive that person. I can't let that person go. He's hurt me so bad. He's hurt me so bad. I can't do that. I'm going to share a story with you. And, and I shared it last night in, in the other service. And I normally don't share it in this, in this situation, but I felt it appropriate. Several years ago when, when my mother left, I, got, I was 13 years old when she walked out, and it destroyed my dad. My dad died at the age of 46. He couldn't deal with the rejection of his wife of leaving him. But more than that, when she left, she, she ran off with his youngest brother, which destroyed him. My dad became an alcoholic. He couldn't deal with the pain, so he began to medicate it through drugs and alcohol. And I got saved a few years later, at 18, this was five years, five years past, I got saved. And I, this was the Bible that I got when I got saved. This Bible was close to 40 years old. 
And when I left West Virginia to move to Wisconsin, I gave this Bible to my dad. I said, Dad, I want you to have my Bible. I said, I've got a new Bible. I want you to have this. And every time I would come home to visit over holidays, he'd be sitting at the kitchen table reading the Bible, this Bible. And, and, I, and I remember one day I felt that I really needed to talk to him. Uh, this, I, was, I was now 20, about 23, 22, almost 23. And I was coming home because... God had been doing some things in my heart and my life. I've grown in the Lord. I've been studying the Word and teaching, reading Greek and Hebrew during the summer. <laughs> and and, and so, I was, so I was studying the Word, doing these various things. But I, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, the Bible says that you have to forgive Mom for what she's done to you. He said, Son, I can't ever forgive your mother for what she did. I can't forgive your uncle either for what happened. I said, I know, Dad, in your own strength, you can't. It, the pain is so deep. I understand that. Ask God to help you. Ask God to give you the ability to release her, to let her go. Because I know the pain is so deep, and I know that it it torments you. He goes, son, I can never do that. He goes, the pain is just so great. I I just can't do that. I said, Dad, I'm going to pray for you. And I just asked that God would just give you the ability to do that. Two months later, he passed away in February, February 14th. And I went back home, and the only thing I wanted was the Bible I had given him. I didn't want anything else. You know, a family gets kind of strange when people die and want to fight over property. I said, you can have everything. I just want the Bible. Do with, what, do with everything else what you want, but I want the Bible. I give it to my dad. I want, I want the Bible. got the Bible, and I, was, and I brought the Bible home with me and had, even had the last birthday. His birthday was December 13th. I sent him his last birthday card, stuck it in the back of the Bible. I remember taking the Bible, taking a look at it, looking at it maybe six months later because I was so grieved that he had died. Have you ever gone to the part where you've grieved so hard that you can't even speak words, that you, your lips just stutter and, you're, and, you're, and your tears are coming down because you just can't talk? You're hurting so bad. I felt betrayed by God because I believed that God was going to heal him. And I, I thought that God was going to restore him because the Bible had promised me 70 years of life and 80 by reason of strength, that God would somehow save him and heal him. And as I was going through my pity party, God spoke to my heart and says, Andy, how old was my son when he died for you? Jesus was 33. But I looked through the Bible. When I opened the Bible, in the back of the Bible, my dad in his own handwriting had written, forgive Bertha for what she had done, Lord. He had written that in the back of the Bible. That was my assurance that I know that he had made it right with God. That one day there will be a glorious reunion. And I know that how painful that was for him to forgive. But listen, friends, forgiveness doesn't mean you condone the wrong that was done to you. Forgiveness simply means you're releasing their influence and their hold on your life. You're letting them go. There are many times when people have hurt us that you say, no, nobody's going to control me. They do control you. When you harbor bitter resentments towards anyone, they control you. How do I know that? Would you name your kid after that person? If you see them walking down the street, a lot of times you're crossing on the other side of the street. Just the mention of that person's name who has hurt you will cause your temperature to rise up. It's because they're controlling you. It doesn't mean when you forgive someone, doesn't mean that you have to invite them to your house to have dinner with you. If you have been a victim of a rape, the last thing you want, you say, I forgive their hold on my life, but I'm not going to have dinner with them. wouldn't ask you to do that. God doesn't expect you to do that. God expects you just to release their hold on them and allow God to work in their lives. That's what true forgiveness is, friends. 
So getting even will not take away the pain. In Romans 12, 17 through 19, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peace with, all, with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you know that God keeps records? Psalms 56 verse 8 says that God keeps records of all your tears. Every time you, you, your heart has been shattered, every time you have cried over a situation, every time you have been so brokenhearted and distraught that you thought your heart was someone just stomped on your heart and broken into a multitude of pieces, God saw every tear, and he has a record of every tear you have ever shed. Why? Because God never wastes a hurt. God will never waste a hurt. Everything you have ever experienced in life, if you will simply yield to God, he will use that to change somebody's life. There's where the divine appointments come in. You ever wonder why certain people are attracted to you? It's because you have something that you can give them. You can identify with what they are going through. You can identify with their pain. You can identify with their trauma. You can identify with their situation. And God is enabling you because of the records he's kept of your tears, the healing he's brought into your life. He's given you the ability to speak into their life as well and give them hope. A bitter spirit can ruin your life and it will give you an excuse to do nothing. Remember, if you still have feelings of resentment and bitterness towards someone, then they are still controlling your life. They are still controlling your life. I tell people bitterness, if I'm carrying bitterness and resentment in my life, it's like me drinking poison and hoping that you will die. Think about it. It's like me drinking poison and hoping that you'll die when I carry bitterness and resentment in my life. See, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God says, I will repay. Release them to me. Trust me. And I'll take care of the situation. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look diligently, lest anyone shall fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up and cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. The word here, defiled, in the Greek means contaminated. If we allow bitterness to spring into our lives, it will contaminate your family, your children, your co-workers, everyone that you interact with. Bitterness will contaminate them. In fact, he says here that you fall short of the grace of God when you allow bitterness to spring up. Because grace, God's grace is God's divine enablement to, to enable me to live what truth demands because I can't do it in my own strength. I can't forgive in my own strength that God can give me the grace to help me to release the stronghold this person may have on my life so that I can walk in the freedom that he's provided for me at the cross. That's what grace does. Grace not only is that unmerited favor, God giving you something you don't deserve, but it's also God's divine enablement, God's operational power in your life to live what truth demands. Whatever God requires of us, whatever God expects of us, he enables us to do those things. That way he receives all the glory. It's not from human effort, but it's simply by yielding. Yielding is simply the absence, the absence of resistance. It's simply yielding to what God wants to do in and through your life. Number three, I must renew my mind with God's word. I must renew my mind with God's word. 
Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds, friends, as I mentioned earlier, has recorded every hurt and every excuse that you have ever experienced. The problem is our brain does not distinguish between what is true and what is false until we bring it to consciousness. We have to tell it what's true. We have to tell it what's real because that's what reactive living does. We live by design or by default. The default is when we just simply live reactively. We don't make a conscious decision. We don't make, we don't make a conscious choice. We just simply react, and it gets us into trouble. But when we tell things what is real, what the situation really is, then we, be, then we can make a healthy choice. As a child, maybe you were told that you're stupid. Maybe you were told you're never going to amount to anything. Maybe you were told that you're not as smart as your brother. You're not as smart as your sister. You're not as good as one of your siblings. You're just going to have to exist because you're not good enough. And as a result, we, we are, that begins to affect our self-image, and we begin to act on what we believe. We begin to believe that we're, that, we're, that, we're not, that we're no good. We begin to believe we're unlovable. We begin to believe that there's no hope for me, no hope for us. We begin to believe those lies. That's why, friends, we need to go to God's Word because that is the absolute truth. His Word is absolute truth. What does God say about you? What does God say about your situation? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. When God created everything, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And God created you to make an impact in people's lives. And what God's word says about our situation. You know, all of us have have probably experienced so many different wounds and traumas in our lives. I've shared with people in the life skills class. You know, all of us have, have probably experienced so many different wounds and traumas in our lives. I've shared with people in the life skills classes that I've what is God's words and traumas in our lives? I've shared with people in the life skills classes that I've led and the trek classes that if we've had emotional or physical abuse, one or that if we've had, if we've experienced rejection, incest, molestation, emotional or physical abuse, one or a cluster of those traumas before the age of puberty, our emotions will freeze at that point of trauma. And our ability to resolve conflict will be that as a little child. Our ability to resolve, our ability to give and receive love will be that as a child. A child is very selfish. They want instant gratification. A child doesn't know how to serve. It's all about them. Does sound like us as adults, some of us? If we have been wounded, the enemy will keep us wounded. We'll never reach our full potential in Christ. But yet he's given us the tools, these resources right here to take these things to the cross and apply the cross to the bitter waters in our life to make it sweet so that we can become palatable to other people and to every other person that we encounter. Those bitter waters can become sweet to the cross of Jesus Christ. God wants to change us and to see in ourselves as he sees us. Number four, I must refocus on the future. I must refocus on the future. God has a plan for your life. Get your focus off your past and begin to move forward. Know that God has brought healing. He's brought deliverance to you. In Job 11, verses 13 and 16, Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, he says, put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade away from your memory. 
like floods that are past and remembered no more. That's from the Good News Translation. It says here three things. First of all, put your heart right. Put your heart right. In other words, release those who have hurt you. Let them go. Release them. Put your heart right. Then reach out to God, Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. He's our physician. He is the one that will bring healing to your broken and shattered heart. The physician, our healer. Reach out to him. And number three, face the world again. Don't withdraw. Resume living. Many times we begin to draw, we begin to isolate because we feel that we're damaged, we're dirty, we're different. We think that everybody looks at us, when they look at us, they see us as damaged goods. We feel that everybody can see us. Like we've got a big, big L, a big loser on our forehead. If they've been washed clean by the blood, we've been washed clean, we've been healed by the life sweet. Reach out and resume living. Don't let your flesh clean by the blood of the Lamb. We've been washed clean. We've been healed by the, by, the, by the cross of Jesus. He has made the bitterness in our lives sweet. Reach out and resume living. Don't let your past define your future. Proverbs 4, 25. I'm going to give you my West Virginia paraphrase here. So it's not Greek or Hebrew. This is West Virginian. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 25 says, Look straight ahead with honest confidence. Don't hang your head in shame. Look straight ahead with honest confidence because I know who I am in Christ. And don't hang your head in shame because you have value, you have purpose, you have significance. God paid an awesome price for you by giving his son. When you, when you buy something, you ascribe value to it. Look what Jesus paid for you. He gave of himself. That's how much value he thinks of you. Don't hang your head in shame. And then finally, I must reach out to others. The fifth step in healing my wounded heart is I've got to reach out to other people. You see, friends, that is proof that there's been healing that has occurred in your life, that you have the ability to reach out and to be able to give healing to other people. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us every time we have trouble. 2 Corinthians 1.4, God comforts us every time we have trouble. So when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort that God gave us. Again, it goes back to what I've said earlier, that God doesn't waste a hurt. He doesn't waste a bad experience. He doesn't waste any of these things that have happened in your life. Try to see it from his perspective. Try to see it from, from God's eyes. Yes, it may have been a horrible experience. I'm not minimizing that. And yes, and, and it, may have just been, it just might have been such a traumatic experience that, that you don't even have words to describe that. But God sees everything from the end, from the beginning, from the beginning to the end. And he sees your journey. And he knows how it's going to play out. That's where faith comes in. That's why we have to trust him when life doesn't make sense. Because we know that God has my best interest at heart. And even though I am going through hell right now, I know that God, if I will trust him, I will weather this storm and I will persevere. And when I come out on the other end, I, I will know that God will say, this is one in whom I'm well pleased because he trusted me when life did not make sense. Friends, if we, if we get to the point where we think we have all the answers, we put ourselves on, a, on an equal playing field with God. There's where faith comes. We have to trust God when life doesn't make sense. And that's where grace comes in. He helps us when life doesn't make sense. Amen?
I trust that this, this world. We all have had our struggles. We all have been hurt. We may devour. And he looks, this is a message of hope. We all have had our struggles. We all have been hurt. We all have, have various things that have happened in our lives because we have an adversary that walks about daily seeking whom he may devour. And he's looking to destroy you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to discredit God in your life. But we have a Savior that loves us so much that he gave of himself to you that anytime you face these obstacles in life, God is always reaching down further than you can reach up. That's grace. When the hand of God reaches down further than you can reach up, he loves you and he wants to see you make it. God has already planned your comeback, Frank, folks. He's already planned your comeback. And you may think that you may have think the enemy has won. You may have think that you, that you just got to coast now for the rest of your life. But if you're still breathing, God's got a plan for you that only you can fulfill. That's how, that's how meticulous and methodical God is. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a purpose. And you are here, not just to occupy a seat, but you are here because God is speaking into your heart and your lives right now because you may go out here and speak to someone that may enter into eternity. You may be the last point of contact between heaven and hell for some individual because that person can identify with the hurt that you've experienced in your life and you can share with them the hope through Jesus Christ and bring them in. In closing, I just want to share one more story I didn't share in any other services, but I feel impressed to do this. Three years ago, I buried my brother. He said, man, Pastor, you've had a traumatic life. That's why I can stand here strongly and firmly with great confidence in saying that my God is faithful when life doesn't make sense. I had a brother that drank himself to death. Died at St. Vincent Hospital in Green Bay three years ago, 50 years old. But here's his story. Jeff felt he was unlovable. He felt he didn't deserve to be loved. We were all in foster homes growing up for a while, and he ended up living with a Baptist pastor to share the word with him, but Jeff just resisted. He didn't want anything to do with it because, you see, every child before the age of puberty, every child, listen to what I'm saying, every child before the age of puberty assumes 100% responsibility for all the pain they experience in their lives. 100%. Every child. If a parent's divorce, if there's a death, they say, it's my fault. I did that. Now, they may not think that consciously, but that's how they react subconsciously. It's called reactive living again. Well, Jeff was nine when when mom left. So Jeff begins to think, it's my fault that mom left. It must be me. Because she was there when you and Greg were there, but now I'm here. Now she's gone. Now, he didn't say that, but that's how he acted. He pushed everybody away from him and, and that tried to get close to him. He pushed everybody away. He would never allow anyone. He went through two marriages. would never allow anyone to be close to him. Because not only that, but when he was, when he was 16, we had another brother named Greg who died of a kidney disease at the age of 20. Greg had a half a kidney when he was born. We had two. He only had a half, so he outgrew his kidney. Jeff was going to be the donor to save his life. So the doctors had removed his kidney, Greg's kidney. And when it came to Jeff, just said, I can't do this. He gets up, leaves the hospital. A year later, Greg dies. So Jeff feels, I killed my brother. It's my fault the mom leaves. 
I'm, I'm just going gonna to punish myself for the rest of my life. So he gets into drugs and alcohol, and he punishes himself every day of his life. How do you tell someone about the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ when you have in your brain that you're unlovable and you don't deserve God's love? How do you do that? I remember being called to the, to the hospital and saying, hey, Jeff's not leaving here. This was on Wednesday. And I had to exercise some tough love because Jeff was the type that would physically try to punch me. Wouldn't let me share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Didn't want to hear it. Every time I tried to, he'd get drunk and he'd attack me. He didn't want to hear it because he's unlovable. So I looked at him and said, Jeff, I said, you're not coming out of here. You're dying. You're not going to make it through the weekend. I mean, that's a nice conversation to have with someone in a hospital room. But it was tough love. I said, Jeff, you've got to let me pray for you. I said, you're about ready to enter into eternity. Dad is there. Greg is there. And you're about to see them in the next few days. Can I pray for you? He allowed me to pray for him. He received Jesus Christ on his deathbed. I go up on Friday. He's already unconscious. Can't see me, can't hear me. But yet I believe the subconscious mind is still awake and hearing this. And I can tell he's laboring for his breath. I said, Jeff, it's time to go. I began to cry, and I said, Jeff, it's time to go. I'm gonna, and so I laid hands on him. I prayed. And I said, Jeff, I'm giving you permission to leave. He raised his hands towards heaven like this, and tears were coming down his eyes. He couldn't talk. He was in a coma. But yet he raised his hands and tears came down. The next day, he entered into eternity. And that's what I mean, but you can share that love of God's saving grace with somebody else. You have the ability to do that. God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't waste an experience in your life. If you are alive today, you're probably standing between someone else that needs to hear the grace of Jesus Christ and eternity. Don't waste that moment. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for loving us, for loving me. I thank you for your grace, your saving grace. I thank you, Lord, that you have have put my heart back together many times because you're faithful. And, Lord, I do see the end from the beginning as you do in my life. I may not see clearly, but I know that you're in control, and at the very end, you're there. That's my hope. I trust you. And, Father, every person that's here right now, I believe they've experienced some hurt and some wounds, some traumas in their lives right now. And I ask, Lord, that you, are, that you would just minister to them right where they're at. Father, I just pray that you would reach down and touch every wounded heart in this building and that you would begin to massage healing in place. Give them a conscious awareness of your love and your grace for them, how you want to use them to touch other people's lives. Lord, maybe someone, maybe they're here today and they just need to feel loved. Lord, just show them your love right now. Embrace them, Lord. Embrace them. And Father, I commit every person in your care. I ask, Lord, that you would complete the work you have begun in all of our hearts, that we can bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.